children of Israel are finally walking in their inheritance that God had promised them, but it's not all just going easy. There's hard times. So if you expect that there are going to be times in your journey that there are going to be things that go amazingly and things that go so much less than amazing, it really helps you to say, okay, when something doesn't go well, okay, Lord, what are you doing? And Lord, with whatever you're doing, Lord, will you help me to get my eyes on you to catch a fresh vision of what you would have me to do. When everything is going well in life and we feel like there's nothing we can't tackle, it's easier to praise God and thank Him for His blessing. But what about the times when the storms roll in? Today, Pastor Daniel reminds us to still keep our focus on God, especially in the uncertain times of life. Instead of complaining about the circumstances, we should ask God to reveal what His plans are and how we get to be part of it. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 9 with part one of his message, Bad Friends. All right, let's all open our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. As we continue our study here through the book of Joshua, through the Bible, together, Joshua chapter 9. If you're new to the Bible, I want to get you to the book of Joshua. It's pretty easy to find. It's actually the sixth book in your Bible. So the first five books are what we know as the Pentateuch, which means five books in the Greek, or the Torah, which means law in Hebrew. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the next book is the book of Joshua, which tells the story of the children of Israel finally beginning to walk in the inheritance that God had promised to them all the way back at the calling of Abraham. And at this point in chapter 9, what we begin to realize is that for the people of God walking in the inheritance that God has given them, there are up times and down times. There are good days and there are bad days. There are things that go the way that you think they're supposed to go and everyone's happy. And then there's things just don't go right for all different reasons. And I think it's a powerful reminder to us because if we go into life expecting that you're not going to bat a thousand, so to speak, that you're not going to get everything right or that things are going to transpire that you have no control over, but it's not going to go the way you want it to, it won't shock you when it happens. And really so much of life is being able to quickly recover in your heart when something goes on that you're not expecting. You think for a lot of us, when something goes on that you don't expect, you lose time, right? You, you find yourself being discouraged and, and kind of feeling beat up and, and, and feeling raw. And like all those things are real. I want to minimize those things. But really, God wants us to learn how to very quickly recover. And like, and we saw that in the battle of AI. If you remember, they had this great victory at Jericho where literally the walls fell down and they were able to go on in and take the land. And because of such a great victory, they underestimated what was going to go on and they didn't realize that there was sin in the camp that had made them vulnerable. So when they went into AI, they got beat. And God explained to them why they got beat, and they worked through that. And then very quickly, they go in and they fight AI again, and they're victorious. Now, you can imagine, if you personalize a story like that, 
how often when something goes down that, you know, because for the children of Israel, they didn't realize that one man's sin had impacted the entire battle. But it was this one man, Achan's sin, who caused the children of Israel to really struggle in this fight. And so how long does it take you to get back to the Lord, into his presence, to catch a fresh vision and take the next step? I think for a lot of us, we nurse our wounds way longer than we actually need to. We just, we're busy licking our wounds. And so if you begin to realize that in, and this is about us walking in the inheritance that we have in Christ. I mean, this is a great picture, right? The children of Israel are finally walking in their inheritance that God had promised them, but it's not all just going easy. There's hard times. So if you expect that there are going to be times in your journey that there are going to be things that go amazingly and things that go so much less than amazing, it really helps you to say, okay, when something doesn't go well, okay, Lord, what are you doing? And Lord, with whatever you're doing, Lord, will you help me to get my eyes on you to catch a fresh vision of what you would have me to do? And then Lord, to walk in that. And so today, unfortunately, we're going to see another one of these examples of the children of Israel putting themselves in a predicament that they weren't supposed to be in. I've called this message bad friends And you'll see why very quickly. So look what it says in Joshua chapter 9, picking up in verse 1. I'm going to read a long section to you so you get the whole thing going here. It says, Joshua 9 verse 1, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done in Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, torn and mended, old and parched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants now, therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours, we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it's dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which we filled, were new. And see, they are torn. And these our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Now, you see what's going on here because 
we see in the beginning of this chapter that there is this coalition who is coming together of all the inhabitants on the side of the Jordan where the children of Israel are on. They heard about what had gone on in Jericho. They heard about what had gone on in Ai, and they're gathering together, forming a coalition so that they can all go together against Joshua. And we're going to actually see that once we get to Joshua chapter 10. We're going to see this coalition and what goes on with this army. And you're going to see how the Lord works in a really powerful way in this situation. But there's a group of these people who are like, you know what? I don't really want to join this coalition. I have a better idea. And what they decided they were going to do is they were going to lie to Joshua, say that they're from a far country, get Joshua to swear to them, to make peace with them in the name of the Lord so that they don't have to fight them. But they're not from a far country. They're one of their, the neighbors there. They're one of the inhabitants of the land that the children of Israel are supposed to conquer. And so what you find here in verse 4 is it says that they worked craftily and they pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all their bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Now, what's interesting is that Gibeon was just a little bit north of Jerusalem, you know, about six miles from Jerusalem. So literally right in the middle of the promised land. But they decide, this is not going to go good for us. I mean, the children of Israel, they, you know, they had heard about what had gone on in Egypt. They heard about everything that went on on the, on the other side of the Jordan. Now Jericho's down, AI is down. This is not going to go well for us. So like, you know what, we got a plan. And in some ways you can find yourself impressed with the shrewdness of the Gibeonites here. If you're looking at an army and that army is got God on their side and conquering everybody and everything, you might want to come up with a plan rather than going to hand-to-hand combat. And so their plan is actually a quite ingenious plan because although they live close, they want to make it look like they live far. And so they grab all this old gear. It's kind of like, you know, not the stuff that you would wear to work, the stuff that you would wear to work in your yard. You know, everyone got yard working clothes. If you don't yet, it's because you're not old enough, but you will. You know what I mean? It's like you got the old shoes, you got the old pants, you got the shirt that's got all the holes in it, you know, and it looks dusty. And the only place you can wear it is when you're working in the yard. And they, they grab old wineskins, which was the way that they would, uh, this was long before you had like your clean canteens or your zero whatever plastic bottles or whatever you have, you know, and they had these wineskins, which bought their wine. Now, again, I think it's always important when you read about wineskins and wine in the Bible, you have to realize that this was long before the day and age of sanitary drinking water. Like we still live in a day and age in the West. We don't have the same problem, but around the world, the sing- one of the single greatest health issues is a lack of clean water. People drink freestanding water. That's disease. like, if you touch the water in Uganda, you will get sick. You just don't drink it. You touch it. That water's got dead animals laying in it, all sorts of stuff. And so, you know, all over the world, there are people who don't have access to clean water. And this was the case also in biblical times. And so fermented drink, i.e. wine, was the most sanitary thing you could drink because the fermentation kills all the bacteria that will hurt you. So oftentimes when we start talking about wine in the Bible, everybody goes goes into the idea of drunkenness and obviously you have to talk about it, but you don't actually realize that fermented drink was the healthiest beverage that you can drink in that culture. That's why it was so common, even more common than drinking water, because unless you had running water, I mean, if you're in the woods and you want to drink some water, do you ever drink the water that's just sitting there freestanding? Not if you're smart, right? If it's running water, you have a better chance, but it's still not the best chance. 
right? And so that is why wine and wineskins was such a common occurrence in biblical times, was because it was the healthiest way to get liquid in your body without getting sick. So I just share that with you for whatever that's worth. So they had their old sandals, so not their newest Birkenstocks or whatever. They had the old sandals, old garments, and they grabbed all their old dry and moldy bread. So really what this is, it's amazing because it says they worked craftily. And that word craftily, some of your translations use the word ruse. It literally is a, it has a meaning akin to with wisdom and with understanding. Sometimes it's used in a positive sense in the Bible in the sense of prudence, working prudently. But oftentimes it's also used negatively. And really in this case, it is seen as a negative thing, although they're trying to save their own lives. And so when they reach Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, they begin to state their case. We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Now, you could say, well, it wasn't, you know, it was a far country. They walked 10 miles to get there. Which sounds kind of far, unless you run a marathon, and then we all think you're sick. But that's a different discussion for another day. I always love when I see someone and they have like the 26.2 sticker on their car. I just want to get like a 0.0 sticker, like just to like make my case. Like, yeah, 13 feet. That's my 13 feet. Anyway, anyway. Uh, and listen, if you run a marathon, God bless you. So grateful for you. Anyway, they make their case and they said, make a covenant with us. And, and what's interesting is right away, you find that the children of Israel are a little skeptical about this. Because right away they say, perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? See, there's a part of them that realizes that maybe something's not right here. And what I want to remind all of you is that if you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, you are born again, what that means is that the spirit of the living God has taken up residence in your life, right? And I call this, we need to learn how to honor the checks. Because sometimes something goes on and your heart gets a check. Now, just because your heart got a check doesn't mean that it's right, but you have to learn how to honor those checks. Because what I've learned in my life is that God loves us enough to not want us to put ourselves in bad situations. And so in certain situations, you get this check. And for many of us, we get the check, but we don't actually honor it or explore it. We just kind of, oh yeah, whatever, because I really want this thing. So I want to just encourage you, when you get that check in your heart, I want you to learn how to honor that check. And you simply honor that check by going to the Lord in prayer when you have the check and say, Lord, I just got a check. I don't know if it's from you or if it's just from me. I don't know if it's me being suspicious of somebody or if you're trying to show me something. But Lord, I want your wisdom and I don't want to walk in my own steps left with my own devices. That's how you honor the check. Because I believe that right there, my wife would call this the God pause. And I love that phrase because they're asking a question saying, well, how do we really know? And if you don't honor the pause there, you do what the children of Israel do, which is just keep going. And for many of us, you look back on mistakes that you've made in life, bad decisions that you've made, there's always the pause in there, isn't there? There's always that check, that God pause that you, it's like you got a flashing red light and you just blow right through that, right? Even you got the yellow light, the flashing yellow, but you just blow right through it. You're not even stopping to honor the check. And so I think that there's great wisdom in that for all of us to learn how to trust 
the reality that you are indwelt by the spirit of the living God, the all-knowing one has taken up residence in your life because you are his child. And the presence of the spirit is actually the mark that you are part of his family. And because you are part of his family, he places his spirit within you and he places his spirit within you so that you can walk as a family member, not just in name only, but in identity. So we have to learn how to, when that pause happens, to stop and seek the Lord. Because what they do here is they notice that there is something there, but they actually don't seek the Lord. They just keep asking questions and not of the Lord. Notice when he asks, how do we know you not live among us? Verse 8, but they said to Joshua, we are your servants. See, they're not answering the question. They're saying, we're here to serve you. Now, don't miss the fact that the children of Israel are literally going into the promised land and they're expecting to have to fight every single city that they come up to, right? So someone comes and says, hey, we're here to serve you. Doesn't that sound kind of nice? I mean, if someone walks up to you and says, I'm I'm your servant, you're going to be like, "Uh, holla. What are we having for dinner? You know? Like, what are we doing here? You know? And so you can imagine in the midst of all this that this is kind of like a good thing. But Joshua says, who are you and where do you come from? And in verse 9, they tell him, they said, we come from a very far country, your servants. Because of the name of the Lord, your God. We have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he had done to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, the Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Now, don't miss this. Part of the craft, the ruse, part of this trick that are being played on, they know all the right things to say. Again, I want to encourage you not to be ignorant of the devices of Satan and people who want to deceive you. They're really good at using all the right language. They know. I see this happening, unfortunately, all too often within the church as it relates to godly young women and guys who want to marry them. I've seen more guys give their life to Jesus so they can marry a Christian girl than I know what to do with. And oftentimes they know, unless I do that, I can't marry her. Right? So they do all this stuff. And unfortunately, many of you know what it's like because that's what your experience was. You met somebody, they weren't walking with the Lord. They really fell for you. And before you know it, they're hallelujah and praising Jesus. And they're buying study Bibles. And then two months after you get married, they're like, yeah, I don't have anything to do with church. And so don't be deceived. See, the Gibeonites use all the right language here. I mean, you can imagine at this point, Joshua and these guys have been like, all right, look what he says. First, we've come from a far country. Why? Because of the name of the Lord your God. See, right away, this is God language, right? And they're like, man, we are here because of who your God is. And not only that, we heard of his fame. We heard of all the things that your God has done. But what's interesting is they mention all the signs of Egypt, of course, which we saw in the book of Exodus. And then he also says about the defeat of the two kings of the Amorites, which we get in the book of Numbers. But they make no mention about Jericho or Ai. Why? Because that was too recent and too local. So again, these guys know what they're trying to do. They have this thing all dialed together. And so we have to also see this really what it speaks about is the gift of discernment, right? Because 
The gift of discernment helps us to parse out somebody who's saying all the right things but still has the wrong heart. And I think that that is a spiritual discipline that the Spirit of God is yearning to give us as His people. Because sometimes, as God's people, someone just uses a little bit of Jesus language and all of our discernment goes out the window. And don't miss it for one second that Satan understands all the Jesus language as well. I mean, he tempted Jesus in the wilderness using Scripture. So, just because someone's got scripture or they're using Jesus-laden language, we need the discernment to be able to say, is this person's heart lined up with what they actually are talking about? Now, let's just be honest here. How many of you have found yourself in a situation with someone who used all the right language, but they were totally wrong? So common. And I believe that the Spirit of God gives supernatural discernment when we give him room. In a lot of ways, part of this also is rather than taking time, they just acted. So I think part of this is about us learning, you learning, and me learning how to bake margin into our decision making. Bake some time in there so that we can seek the Lord. Because oftentimes when things move fast, I'm working through a situation right now where a bunch of decisions were made very, very quickly, and ultimately, it wasn't the wrong decision, but it could have been done better, right? And it was like, oh, you know what my mistake was? It was moving too fast. Everything was happening quick. And because everything was happening quickly, we didn't stop and say, okay, Lord, is there anything we're missing? So bake in that margin into your time to be able to allow the Lord to unpack whatever it is that needs to happen, whatever it needs to be. Now, In verse 11, they continue their story. Therefore, the elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, take provisions for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, we're your servants, therefore, now make a covenant with us. And then they go through all the different props that they brought here. They have this thing all dialed in. They're like, look, when we left, this bread was fresh, fresh out of the oven. It's like, how many of you ever try and resist a donut when you go by the donut shop and it all smells like donuts for like three blocks? Right? They're like, when we left, the whole place smelled like fresh bread. But now look at it, it's moldy. These wineskins, they were brand new. We've had to stitch them a hundred times. Our sandals were fresh from Zapatos or whatever. Zappos. Jesus is real. The nation of Israel seemed to have a reoccurring problem. They kept skipping the step of asking for God's guidance. When an unknown group entered their territory to attempt a peace deal, the Israelites were understandably cautious. They didn't allow this check in their spirit, however, to bring them to their heavenly leader. Pastor Daniel today encouraged us to listen to those checks in our spirits and take all matters before the Lord. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
and I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will share what happens to the nation of Israel after they make a deal with their enemy. God's people finally get wise to the scheme and have to figure out what to do with the people they've pledged loyalty to. Pastor Daniel will remind us how important it is to take time with a decision and to seek the counsel of trustworthy friends. And as always, seek God for his help. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Conquest. Until then, may God bless.